Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, good to see you all. Um, so I guess I'll say a bit about myself before we get into the Word of God. So uh, my name is um, Topa Olukemi. I'm from Nigeria. Uh, I've lived in this country for... <laughs> uh, I, 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 I originally came to, I came to the UK initially when I was um, two years old, um, but my, my dad's a diplomat, so I've lived in different parts of the world. I came back again in, in 1999, where I did a master's in UCL, which is not too far from here. And um, I, that's where I met my wife as well, um, Ade, in, uh, in UCL. And yeah, so we've um, been living in near Trafford 100, for 18 years now, and yeah, and uh, we we are part of a church, community church there for the last 14 years, and I'm one of the elders at community church at Trafford 100, although I oversee a site which is in South Auckland, which is just about 10 minutes or so away. So that's um, myself, I guess, in a nutshell, by by way of introduction. So it's good to be here um, this morning, very happy to to be part of you, and I'm very happy to have been invited to continue to speak into the series that you've been doing on the book of Daniel, Daniel, um, I think, chapter one to chapter six. So I'm going to be speaking this morning um, specifically from Daniel chapter four. So we're going to be looking at the latter verses there, verses 28 to 37. Uh, I will read it. But before, before that, I just want to maybe just give a bit of context, a bit of background of where we're going to be going into today. So if you remember the story so far, um, um, Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream, his second dream, second dream that he's had now so far in the book of Daniel. And, you know, that dream has spoken of impending judgment that Nebuchadnezzar is about to face. And the judgment was going to, was be, was going to be that he was going to be driven from men and he was going to live like a, a wild beast. You know, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, it says that he, that was going to happen to him, that he may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so we, we kind of get the sense here that um, Nebuchadnezzar was a man who did not acknowledge the Most High as God. He didn't acknowledge that God was sovereign, that God was in control, that God ruled over the affairs of men. He kind of considered that he himself, Nebuchadnezzar, was kind of at the top of the food chain, that he was the main person. And it's kind of understandable if you think about it from maybe his perspective, the fact that here he was, he was king of Babylon, and Babylon was pretty much the the superpower of the day. And Nebuchadnezzar was the man who was in charge, he was king, He, he reigned over this superpower. And so we kind of find ourselves in this place where God has been speaking to him. You know, he had that first dream, and in that first dream, chapter 2, verse 39, you know, when he had the interpretation, he was told that another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of, of bronze shall rule over the earth. So he already had this idea that there was somebody else who was in charge, somebody else who was controlling affairs, and that his kingdom would happen, he was going to be king or reign for a period of time. Then after that, there was going to be another kingdom and then yet another kingdom after that. But he didn't seem to quite get the message. And then Daniel chapter 3, verse 15, he builds this golden statue. And then, you know, when these three young Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they refused to bow down before the statue, he says to them, 
But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You get the sense there that this man has elevated himself to the level of a God, or he believes he's a God, because he says, who is the God who will be able to deliver you out of my hands? But then we see that there's a fourth man. He sees that fourth man in the fiery furnace, and he recognizes that actually there is a God who is able to deliver those three young Hebrews out of his hand. But yet he doesn't seem to get the message. Then he has this dream, and um, you know Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream. And interestingly, Daniel also encourages the king. You know, he says, perhaps Daniel's thinking in his mind that perhaps King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't realize what God is trying to say to him here. And so he encourages him and says, king, repent, change your ways so that perhaps, you know, God will keep this judgment away from you. And probably Daniel had in his mind, you know, various points in biblical history where kings like him, like you think people like King Ahab, you know, he was about to face judgment. But then Ahab, we're told, humbled himself before the Lord. And God said, because Ahab has humbled himself before me, I'm not going to bring the disaster in his days. I'll do it in his son's time instead. And then there was Manasseh, interesting enough, because he was quite a vile king. And because of everything he did, he was carried off as a captive to Babylon. But in Babylon, Manasseh repented. And because of that, you know, it says God was moved by his entreaty, heard his plea, and he brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. So I think somewhere in Daniel's mind, he believed that if Nebuchadnezzar would only change, only turn to God, that that dream would not come to pass. Because, you know, we serve a God who doesn't want to, to judge or, or punish people. You know, 1 Timothy 2.4, it says, God, he desires that all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is God's heart for everybody. That's, his, that, that's God's heart for the world in which we live in today. You know, that's God's heart for each one. And that's why you, you know, I would say that there is no one who can be so far gone that they can't be brought back to God, that they can't repent and come to know God, know Christ as Lord and Savior, because that's the desire of God's heart. So Nebuchadnezzar, that was God's desire, that this man would turn back and he would repent. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today in our text. So I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 28 to 37, and then we'll see what God wants to say to us from there. So it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. 
At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Amen. So here we find ourselves. You know, it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar as way of introduction. So everything that um, had been was in his dream, everything that Daniel interpreted to him from that dream, every single word came to pass just as God said it would. And I think from that, what I get from that, you know, the great assurance that God's word is sure and God's word will always come to pass. His word is sure and his word will always come to pass. In Numbers, Moses says that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Isaiah 46 10 says, God declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish it. You know, God's word will always come to pass. That's one thing that we can rest upon. I know sometimes you might look at the world around you. You might maybe even think of your life and maybe think of things that God has said to you or spoken to you or you know, things that have been prophesied over you. And you might be wondering that, Will these things ever come to pass? Because when you think of what God has said and you look at what you see as your present day reality, it doesn't seem to match up. But the one thing I want you to be assured of is that the word of God will always come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. If you said it, he will do it. And you just have to hold on, hold on to his word and trust him and believe in him and trust that he will bring it to pass. Now, it's interesting that there was a period of 12 months between, you know, the dream, the interpretation of the dream, and the judgment coming upon Nebuchadnezzar. And I think that God gave him that time to repent. Because the God that we serve, is, uh, he is, he is long-suffering. You know, if you think about maybe our lives, and I don't know, except maybe if you were happened to maybe be born in a church and you actually became born again on the day that you were born. There was a period of your life where you were far from God. But then, you know, God in his mercy, after time you came to know him, you came to know Christ and Lord, as Lord and as Savior. So God is patient and we can see his patience with this man, with this king, Nebuchadnezzar. So it doesn't happen instantly. Judgment doesn't come instantly. But what you see is that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't, he doesn't repent. He doesn't relent. You know, it might, it might be that um, when the first month came, went past and nothing happened, the second month, the third month, 
he kind of forgot about the dream. He said, oh, well, maybe Daniel got the interpretation wrong. Maybe this wasn't about me. Maybe it was about someone else. And, you know, it's very easy to kind of fall into that place of insecure, of um, kind of security or that place of complacency because, um, you know, God has said something or, you know, there's something that, you know, maybe we read in the word of God and we know there's a change we need to make in our lives and we don't make that change. And because nothing seems to happen, we kind of feel that, well, it's okay, I'm going to continue to do this. But, you know, God is long-suffering, but when God does judge, when God does take action, he takes it very, very swiftly. So, see, Nebuchadnezzar, you can imagine the scene, he's walking on the roof of his royal palace. And he's walking on the roof, he's, he looks at across Babylon, great Babylon. And, indeed, Babylon was great. It was a great city. And a lot of the construction in Babylon that made it a great city was done by Nebuchadnezzar. You know, it had these, uh, these double walls, these big double walls. It had the hanging gardens, you know, that he built for one of his wives because she came from a mountainous region. So he built this, these hanging gardens, this, uh, like a mountain for her to be able to kind of not, be, not feel homesick. So it, he did, there was a lot of things that had been achieved in Babylon that he had done. And so he said, yeah, you know, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? It was all about Nebuchadnezzar. It was what I have built. It was by my mighty power, my glory It was all about him. But the dream he had had told him that he needed to remember that the Most High ruled over the kingdom of men, not Nebuchadnezzar. Things were done for the glory of the Most High, not for the glory of Nebuchadnezzar. God was, is the one who gives kingdoms to people as he wills. So it was never about Nebuchadnezzar. It was all about God. He was completely caught up in himself. He hadn't learned the lesson that God had been trying to teach him again and again and again. And are we sometimes like that? You know, are we boastful? Are we a bit arrogant? Are we proud? Do we bask in our accomplishments, the things that we've done? Do we bask in the things that actually we do for God and take the glory for ourselves rather than giving God the glory? You know, Jeremiah says that... Um, in Jeremiah chapter, he says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight in, says the Lord. And in Corinthians, Paul says, he says, As so it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Our boast is in God. You know, any, whatever we have, any accomplishment we have, anything that we possess, whoever we are, whatever we go on to achieve in this life, it's only because of God. You know, it's by his grace, by his mercy that we are who we are today. It's never about us. It's never about me. It is always and only about God. And I think that one way to always keep ourselves grounded is to stay in the presence of God. Stay in his presence. Because when you stay in God's presence and you see his, his, his awesomeness, his majesty, you see yourself 
in your rightful place. You know, think about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw, when he came into the soul, he saw God, the train of his robe, filled his temple and he says, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In the presence of God, Isaiah had a a reality of who he is and how he stood before God. And I think being in the presence of God is one big antidote against us becoming arrogant and becoming full of ourselves like um, Nebuchadnezzar did. You know, God hates pride. He hates arrogance. In Proverbs 8, he says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I I hate. And why does God hate pride so much? Because at the very root of pride is this idea that you are sufficient and you can do without God. That's the root of pride. Pride is saying that I can do it. I can do whatever it needs that 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 I need to do. I do not need God. That's at the very root of pride. And that's why God hates it so much. The only one who deserves the glory is God himself. So the king is caught in all of this, Nebuchadnezzar, looking at his accomplishments, and we're told that scarcely have these words left his mouth when God's judgment is declared upon him. It says, while the words were still in his mouth, a voice fell from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And I think... God didn't want there to be any doubt between what Nebuchadnezzar's sin was, what his crime was, and the, coming, and the punishment that he, that he suffered because of it. So while he was still speaking, while he was still basking in his own glory, God acts and Nebuchadnezzar faces God's judgment. You know, things that God is long-suffering, but when it time comes for God to act, for God to judge, he does it without any delay. Because he will always fulfill his word, fulfill his plans. Nebuchadnezzar failed to humble himself before God. He failed to do that. And because of that, every word of that prophetic dream he had was fulfilled. So think about the scene. Here was a man who reigned over a vast empire, dressed in fine robes. He wore a kingly crown and he was reduced to living like a beast told that his hair grew long like eagle's feathers, his fingernails like um, bird's claws. You know, imagine that. What an incredible scene. I mean, if somebody, if somebody told you that, if you think about, I don't know, who, who world leaders today, if somebody told you that one day that could happen to, a, to one of the world leaders, one of the people that are kind of held up there, you'd say, no, this could not happen. This could never happen. But it happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And that could only have happened because it was done by the Lord God Almighty, the Most High, who rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And I want us to remember, just dwell on that. You know, the the fact is that the Most High, he rules. You know, that language there, it's talking about a present rule, a current rule. It's not saying that the Most High has ruled or the Most High will rule. It's saying that the Most High, he rules. And today, the Most High, he rules. God is sovereign. God is in control. God rules over the kingdom of men. And yes, I know that sometimes you might look at things happening in the world. You might look at, for example, the world in Ukraine. Now you might, is the Most High ruling? 
the word of God says that the most high, he rules. You know, you might be thinking about what's going on with the, with the economy, with the cost of living. Is the most high ruling in all of this? Yes, because the word of God says that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. God doesn't just rule in heaven. God rules here on earth. God rules in our affairs. And yes, it's, a, it's, it, it's, it's sometimes you might look at the world and it looks like a contradiction, but God does rule. And I think for us as believers, we, find, we should, must find great comfort in the fact that God is ruling over the kingdom of men. We have to hold on to that. We have to believe that whatever is happening, whatever I'm seeing around me, God is still in charge. God is in control. He's not lost control. He's never going to lose control. You know, people may have plans, but God will always have his way. And everything is working. Everything is kind of moving in the direction that God ultimately wants it to move to. And, I, and for me, that's a, it's, it's a comforting thought. Because in a world that's so full of upheaval over the last few years, it's comforting to know that in the midst of all this upheaval, we as God's people know that God rules. He rules. And I believe that even today, he still will humble kings. He will humble people who, who want to exalt themselves above him, who want to say that, no, he doesn't rule, I rule. God will still humble them. And we can find safety and assurance of that, in that. So Nebuchadnezzar, he lives as a beast, a wild animal, for seven years, seven periods of time, seven years. And then at the end of seven years, we're told that he lifts his eyes up to heaven. And that's the beginning of everything. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, not born again, you haven't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, the first step is to look up to God. It's to look up to God. That's what Nebuchadnezzar does. He looks up. And as he takes that step towards God, his reason is restored. His reason, his sanity is restored. And then he acknowledges God with this great outpouring of praise, of worship, of adoration. So imagine, I'm not, we're not told that he uh, had gone back to the palace. His hair had been kind of cut nicely. I can imagine that he was there, still in that kind of beastly state, looking up. And as he looks up, reason is restored and he bursts out in praise to God. It says, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. God's dominion is everlasting, has no beginning and it has no end. You know, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. One generation comes, another generation goes. God's kingdom endures through all of that. Now it says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Isn't that a sobering thought? All of us, me and you included, we're accounted as nothing in the eyes of God, in the eyes of what God wants to do. That is very, very sobering. For me, at least, it's really, really sobering. Because when you think about it, the fact of the matter is that God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anyone. Yes, he now invites us to, to partner with him. And what a wonderful privilege it is to be engaged in the work that God is doing. But it's not as if God needs us to be able to do that. 
You know, when Jesus was saying that and they were accusing Christ, said that if they didn't praise him, that God could raise up from these stones children of Abraham. You know, the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay, can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So imagine God's about to do something. No one can kind of hold God's hand and say, no, no, stop. You, you, I won't let you. Nobody can stay God's hands. And nobody can question God and say, what have you done? And why have you done this? All we do is that we come to God in humility. We come to God in submission to his good and perfect will. Now, Psalm 115 verse 3 puts it in this way. It says, our God is in the heaven. And he does all that he pleases. He does exactly what he wants to do. Exactly what he pleases. And we as God's people, you know, we, we live in that. And I, to, to somebody who doesn't know God, that's quite a, a, a it's, it's quite a, a repelling thought. That you're telling me that there is this person, God, and he does exactly what he pleases. We don't, we don't get a say in the matter. The fact is we don't get a say in the matter. God will do whatever it is that he intends to do. But for a believer, for a Christian, it's wonderful to know that, yes, we serve a God who will always do what he wants to do. He cannot be manipulated. You know, no one can coerce him or make him change his mind. God doesn't do U-turns. So he doesn't say that he, what we read in scripture, he's not going to turn around one day and say, you know what? I'm not doing this because the inhabitants of the earth are not happy about it. I'm going to go in this direction again. We can be sure and rest in that assurance that God will always do what he says he's going to do. Now, was this a conversion experience for Nebuchadnezzar? You know, after all of this, this exclamation, and at the end, he also talks about the fact that um, I will praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Was it a full conversion experience? I can't say. I mean, we don't really know. But I think that he came to a point that God had been trying to teach him all along where he finally recognized that who he was, everything he had accomplished, everything that he had achieved was because of the Most High who rules over the kingdom of men. So he learned his lesson of humility because at the end he said that, um, you know, God is the one who is able to take those who, walk, those who walk in pride, he's able to humble them. And I think that if you're here this morning and, you know, you're kind of dealing with that and you look at your achievements, your accomplishments, and you focus on what you have done and you're saying, I, 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 then you do well to learn from the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned. And I think that, you know, we have a perfect example in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in all of this. You know, Paul talks about in the Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Then he talks about Christ being our supreme, supreme example in all of this in Philippians chapter 2. So for, from verse 5, he says that, we're talking about Christ, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's what we are called to be. That's the kind of life that we are called to live. Christ, God, equal with God, but he didn't consider that something for him to grasp at. But actually, he became like us. God took on flesh. He became like us. He wore this physical body, this physical tent that we, are, that we dwell in. This is what Christ became. What humility. What an example to follow. And so if Christ has done this, if he has made that way, set that example, you know, how much more should I not pattern my life after his example? You know, how much more should I not choose and desire to live like him? You know, Nebuchadnezzar ultimately had to bow to the sovereignty of God. And my question this morning is that, have you truly, truly bowed to God's sovereignty? You know, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, you haven't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, the God is telling you this morning that it's time to bow because he is the most high. He rules in the affairs of men. He rules in your affairs, whether you like it or not. And it's time to bow. And if you're a believer and maybe there are areas of your life that you haven't submitted to God, that you haven't said, Lord, everything I am, all I am is yours. My job, my family, everything, it's about you, Lord, and not about me. I think that God is saying to you this morning that I'm the one in charge. I'm the one in control. Lay these things before me. Submit all of these things before me. Now let's remember that God, he is sovereign. He is sovereign. This kingdom, the kingdom of men, this world does not belong to any man. It doesn't belong to the person who can boast the most. It doesn't. It belongs to God and God alone. And the one ultimately who the kingdom is going to be given to is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why Paul in Philippians talks about that one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus and give glory to God the Father. So just thank God, you know, because I think that all of this is it's really, really reassuring to me and it should be reassuring to us that God is in charge of everything. God will humble kings. God will do what exactly what he will do. He will give kingdoms to whom whoever he chooses to give kingdoms to. And we, have, and we have this great privilege of just being with God and partnering with him and serving as part of his kingdom. And he calls us to extend his kingdom, to make that kingdom known. And you, you know, we are called to make that kingdom known. And let's tell people about this God that we serve. You know, we don't have to be afraid as well because we are on the side of God, the one who humbles kings. So I just want to pray that, um, you know, that God will just make this word, you know, really, really real to us. And maybe you're in that place where you kind of look at everything around you and 
you're a bit fearful. You know, you think about what the world, what does this world hold for me today? You know, what's there to look forward to? You know, the, there's a war going on in Ukraine and, and not just in Ukraine, in very many other parts of the world. You know, what is there to look forward to? What we have to look forward to is in God. What we have to look forward to is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we know that he has a grand plan and that plan is going to come together one day like we read in the book of Revelation. And yes, even if we suffer here in this world, we know that one day we're going to be in a place where there is no more suffering, where there is no more tears, you know, a place where there's no more weeping, no more pain and no more death. And that's what should keep us going, knowing that God will bring his word to pass at the end of days. Now, that's why someone like Paul would be able to describe everything that he went through as light momentary affliction because he knew what awaited him in Christ Jesus. And I don't think any of us have been through what Paul has been through. You know, has anybody here been whipped 39 lashes? No. Has anybody here been thrown into prison for the faith? No. Have you been shipwrecked? No. So if you haven't gone through that and Paul went through all of that and said it was light momentary affliction, then how would we want to describe our affliction then in light of what Paul did? But he kept, he kept going through that because he knew that God was in control of everything. So we must keep going because God is in control. He is in control. And his word, his rule will always, always, always be supreme, will always, always, always come to pass. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we just thank you and we bless you for your word, Lord. You know, we thank you because you are God, you are King, you are the Most High, you rule over the affairs of men and you give kingdoms to whomever it is that you will, mighty God. And yes, Father, you know, in some time, in a way like Daniel and his three friends, you know, we kind of see ourselves in the midst of a world today, Lord. You know, a world, Father, where we are sojourners, we are kind of aliens in this world, Lord, because we know that our true home is with you, Lord. And in the midst of all this, I just really pray that we will have that same assurance that they had that you are in control of all things, mighty God. And I pray we're not going to be cowered into a corner, Lord, by whatever it is, a, a ruler, a king or an authority should ever say, mighty God, that we will have that boldness and that courage to always stand for you and stand for what is right, Lord. And I pray that our hearts, Lord, will not be fearful. You know, I just pray, Lord, if there is anyone here, Lord, that is, that, that is feeling fear because of what they see happening around them, or maybe they're in fear because of the circumstances going on in their lives, Lord. You know, it might be a situation in their family or maybe a situation with, in their, with their health or in their workplace and their hearts are full of fear. This morning, Lord, let them understand that you are in control, that you will have your way and that your name will be glorified in that situation, mighty God.
Father, we thank you and we bless you. We give you all praise and all glory. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will just continue to lead us, continue to, to work in us, Lord. I pray for this church that you will continue, Holy Spirit, just to, to fill them, fill them continually with your presence, mighty God, and that they will be able to go out there, Father, into this community, into this place you've planted them in. Just go out there and make a difference for you and bring glory and honor to your holy name. Not doing it because of themselves, Lord. Not doing it because they want to take the glory, but doing it, Father, so that you will get all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.